As Jason, as Jason and as the youth head downstairs, uh, we're going to turn to back, or back to our sermon series, and especially for Mother's Day, uh, looking at a mother's love for Jesus' family. We've been, we're continuing our sermon series on, uh, entitled All In, looking at God's all-in love for us, his people. And in that, we see and celebrate God's all-in love in faithful parents who exemplify for us what it looks like to love uh, unconditionally and to sacrifice for, for their children. Mother's Day is a beautiful uh, and, in many ways, complex holiday. For many of us, it's an emotional day filled with great thankfulness. We honor not just our mothers, but our parents, our parents' friends, other adults in our community who have led and served, those who have given of themselves for so long to care for others. What a beautiful testimony our mothers and others are. On the other hand, others of us in our community feel the pressure and grief on this day. We're reminded of broken relationships between mothers and children, of people we've lost. We remember the hurt caused by others' expectations. We remember our own unfulfilled longings. What do we do with this as a community? I wonder if you'll allow me to try and help us as a diverse community enter into some of the complexity of this day, to be able to celebrate with those of us who celebrate and grieve with those of us who grieve. I wonder if we can find a way to hold up this morning in honor and make room for the experiences of people who are different from us. How do we make room for others? Well, one of the ways is that we listen to one another's stories. We keep listening. We stay with people. And so I want to share just a few of my stories as we begin this morning, and then we'll open up God's Word. I grew up in a Christian home with two parents who loved the Lord and served the church long before I was born. And as I began to grow and grow up, I began to understand how my parents loved and served our family. My dad was often at work, making money for our family, but also serving the church. Meanwhile, uh, or then he would come home and do other jobs and serve our house, fix things that were broken, repair the cars, fell asleep to watching the news every night. On the other hand, my mother uh, made a point of always being home for her children. She had a degree, but gave it up. She didn't work so that she could make us breakfast and lunch, or breakfast and supper every day. And she always had a snack ready when the kids came home from school. My mom volunteered at the school and at uh, other places in town to serve us as her kids and to serve other kids. I have three siblings, and so she would help us with our homework. She would ask us to serve the family with chores or other small tasks. She bought our food. She came to our sports games and other events. She was always serving us. So naturally, when I turned 17, I ran away from home. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I actually went to university. But I never returned home. Looking back, I realized that one of the reasons I left was that I was searching for something else and for somewhere else. 
I think I thought as a child and as a teen that my parents did what they did out of duty or just because it was their role. As a child, I didn't see the love and the sacrifice that they made for me and for our family. And as a young man, I wanted to be the center of attention. And in a family with three siblings, all of whom are funnier than me, I never was. It didn't matter how much love I received, it was never enough because I wasn't the center. Fast forward a few years, Kaylee and, I, Kaylee and I were married and we moved to Colorado where I served my first church. The first person who, in, who invited us into their home was a woman named Sue. Sue shared her story with us over supper. And then I learned more of her story over the next seven years. She was a little older than my parents. She was single. She had been divorced. Her daughter lived far away. Sue didn't grow up knowing Jesus. She was a professional. Uh, She served and taught communications at a prestigious university on the West Coast and then worked for a major U.S. securities company. When God brought Sue into his family, she began to use her gifts in communication to go on missions overseas to tell others about God's love. Even when the church mistreated Sue and when others uh, ostracized her, she continued to love and serve Jesus and other people. Sue especially loved me. She would invite me over to her house for breakfast just to talk and be together. She shared more of her life and asked me about mine. We worked together for the church. We enjoyed just being with one another. She kept inviting me over to her home to make me coffee, to make me breakfast, to talk, to be together, to pray together. Sue became like a spiritual mother to me. She still is. One of those days, lost in the middle of many hours we spent together, Sue shared with me her favorite Bible verse. And you'll never guess what it is because I've never met anyone that had this as a favorite Bible verse. It's Joel chapter 2, verse 25. God's promise, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Sue had many years of pain and suffering in her life. But God was filling her with joy and peace. And God's love to her overflowed to me. She fed me with her best food and offered me gifts. She shared her thoughts and wisdom with me. When Kaylee and I sold our home in Colorado, we lived with her for over a week before leaving. As I got to know Sue more fully and more fully be loved by her, I realized two things. First, I realized the brokenness still in my own heart, how I wanted to be the center of attention. But also I began to see and understand the love of my own mother more fully. Sue did exactly the same kinds of things that my mother had. She offered me everything about herself. The difference was she had no reason to. There was only one reason, the love of God. As a child, I didn't understand the sacrifices and commitments of my own parents. I thought they were just doing what they had to do. I didn't see that even though they were imperfect, and they still are, They did so much out of love for their family, for me. But most of all, I saw, I didn't see 
how they were animated by the love of God. I hadn't seen it because I was trying to be the center. I reflect as uh, we continue this all-in series that if there's one thing that destroys families, either our biological families or spiritual families, that's when we try to be the center. This is exactly the focus of individualism in the West. Everybody, everything, everyone trying to sell you anything, everyone in our culture will tell us that you can be the center, that your life is all about you. Some of us have had difficult relationships with parents because our parents did exactly that. They lived for themselves and served themselves. This is also the way of people who put pressure on others. When someone tells you that you need to have kids or you need to get married, they're not serving you. They're serving themselves and their own desires or hopes. To be the center ourselves is the thing that causes dysfunction. And yet I believe that in, in many ways, women and mothers bear the larger brunt or the larger part of family dysfunction. I think it's a part of the curse of the fall going all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God says to Eve, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Family pain is a woman's poisoned inheritance from the fall. More than anyone else. In general, women carry more pain for family dysfunction and often don't receive enough credit when the family flourishes. We know that the way of the fall is not the way our world is supposed to be. And so what should or what is the inheritance of women in the family of God? Our text this morning shows us the answer. It's only three verses. We're going to read them here. And it's a story that you may remember from Good Friday. One of the last words of Jesus from the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Let's just pause for a moment and not be surprised that it was the women who were with Jesus right up until the end. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her, Mary, into his home. As Jesus is on the cross, I invite you to pause for a moment and consider how many breakfasts went into Mary's tears. How many conversations she had had with Jesus. How many hours they had spent walking along the road or laughing at the table or serving God's people together, even just their neighbors. And what Jesus does on the cross right before he dies is he creates a new family. He gives his mother Mary a new son, John, and gives his disciple John a new mother, Mary. Do any of us know what's going on here? Maybe you've never thought about it before. Maybe you've never wondered about Jesus' approach to family. After all, Jesus was single from everything we know from Scripture. And yet, The Gospels tell us that on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, 
In a little town called Capernaum, Jesus began his ministry. You all know the story. Walking along the side of the, uh, the lake, he called out to Peter and Andrew, come follow me. And to James and John, come follow me. The same John that was with Mary at the cross. Some of us from a more collectivist culture may be more familiar with Jesus' way of being than those of us from more individualistic cultures. Jesus shows up to begin his ministry at the beginning of the Gospels and he immediately begins building a family. Except Jesus' family is not one mom and one dad and a few kids. Jesus' family is a bigger group of adults, young people, children, everyone gathered together. And Jesus' family is organized not around other people's family business of fishing or, or uh, selling bread or even carpentry, his own, the, the business of his own biological family, carpentry or building. Jesus' family is organized around his father's business, his heavenly father's business. Jesus was building the kingdom of God. This required a biological family and a spiritual family working together as one for God's glory. I wonder how many of us knew that the first thing or one of the first things that Jesus did in his ministry was build a new family. Mark's gospel tells us this. It couldn't be more clear. After a few days, this is Mark chapter 2, so almost nothing has happened in Jesus' ministry. After a few days, find my spot here, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. But wait, if we remember the Christmas story, then we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know that Jesus' parents and his family, his, his mother and father were in Nazareth. So who had he come home to? He had come home to the home of Peter and Andrew, to Peter's mother, where he was building his new spiritual family. Jesus was doing such a new and different thing that even his biological family was upset with him. Just a few verses later, his, his mother and his brothers come to take charge of him, Scripture says, which is to take him home. Today, we would maybe commit him But Jesus said to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? They looked, then Jesus looked at those seated around the circle in Capernaum, in Peter and Andrew's house. He said, These are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister, or my brother and sister and mother. Jesus gives us a picture of family that has God's will at its center. None of us. Do you know why being a spiritual family is so difficult for us? It's because we all want to be at the center, just like me. Because when I'm at the center, I don't have to change. I can demand and I can expect that everyone change and everyone work around me. It's not a matter of liberal or conservative. It's not a gender thing. It's the work of sin in our hearts, turning us inward on ourselves. Dallas Willard, a famous Christian author and theologian, talks about our polarized world that moves both sides of any argument and every reality away from the truth of the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. This is how he puts it. He says, when we examine the broad spectrum of Christian proclamation and practice, 
We see the only thing made central on the right wing of theology is forgiveness of the individual sins. On the left, it's the removal of societal and structural evils. The current gospel in the West becomes, he says, a gospel of sin management. Transformation of life and character is no part of the redemption or redemptive message. There we go. Now, if the center of God's will, or center of the family, is supposed to be God's will, then the story and the purpose of God's family is not sin management. It's not about just having our sins forgiven so that we can carry on. And it's not just about changing the world around us so that everyone else has a better experience. The gospel is about personal transformation. A transformation of our life and our character as individuals. And then communal transformation that is affected through and because of that personal transformation. And it strikes me on this Mother's Day that it's often mothers who care most, whether they're the mothers of a biological family or spiritual mothers in a church. As they watch their children grow, they are the ones who care most about the transformation of the life and character of their children and of those they love. We've said as a church, because of our vision, that we want to make room for every kind of person, every kind of group, every family situation. When we're trying to follow Jesus, when we're trying to find our place in God's family. We've said that we shouldn't fit people into, expect, into our expectations, my expectations of a biological family. That we can welcome everyone and embrace them into the family of God as they grow and as they aim to be transformed by the gospel. Why? Because we're not inviting people into our biological families or our way of being. We're inviting people into the family of God and into the perfect love of God where we also have been invited. Where we also begin as guests and strangers and then become friends and family. We're invited into Trinitarian community where we can experience the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we know either from our own biological families or from working and, and living in the context of a diverse congregation. We know how much work it takes. That's more than just saying hello. We have to give our whole lives. Go all in. Give up much of our preferences and our comfortable ways of being. But when we do, then we find the joy of God's family. Then we experience the honor of being a part of God's family. Being all in in the church family means that we have to give up ourselves. We have to move ourselves out of the center and allow Jesus to be the center. Not waiting for someone else to serve us or to, to help us feel better about ourselves. All in, in reality, it's not about first about what we do. It's a way of being that affects every part of our lives, 
our church, our biological family, our work, our leisure. Being transformed by having Christ at the center of our lives means that when we meet people and begin to love them, that we stay with them. Being all in is the example of the women at the cross who stayed with Jesus right until the bitter end. Being all in is the example of people who have been hurt in the church or by others in the church yet remain to love and serve it. Being all in is the example of our biological parents, our spiritual parents, and especially today our moms who remain with us to serve us and guide us as best as they can. And being all in is the example of Jesus who did not come just to say hello, but came to live with us, to love us, to suffer with us and die for us. He came not just to be on earth for a few years, but to stay with us forever. Jesus is the one who perfectly loves his family. Jesus shares the honor of his spiritual family with us. And so we honor our parents, our mothers, because we see Jesus in them, in you. And the more the center, or the more of the center of our lives that Jesus takes up, the more joy we have and the less suffering we experience. People, when they think about the church, often consider pastors and elders and deacons to be the God-ordained positions, examples of people who are transformed by God and by the gospel. But parents are also God-created and God-ordained positions. Not just the parents that we grow up with or without. God has given us to one another to be a spiritual family, an extended spiritual family, where we get to know and experience our cousins and aunts and uncles who are different from us, who have different food, different ways of being, but also an intimate family where we are known and loved, where we get to share our joys and sorrows, where we regularly gather together for meals, for fellowship, not with an agenda, just because we enjoy one another's company. Giving us a new family in Christ began with Jesus. Gathering a family together to be God's new people. God has given us to one another in that same way. Just as he gave John to Mary and Mary to John. Giving us a new family in Christ is not first about managing our sin or changing our behavior. It's about restoring the honor that all of us have lost in so many different ways. Giving us a new family is about repaying us for the years the locusts have eaten. The family of God is the place where we can be fully known and fully loved. And so also then the place where we begin to be transformed. Let's come to God in prayer. Father God, we long to be people who are fully known and fully loved. This side of eternity, this before we see you, Lord, face to face, we know that that happens with stops and starts. We know that it happens 
with good and with mixed in with bad, with good intents that don't work out, and with selfish intents that always lead to brokenness. But Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you, to keep you at the center. Lord, we praise you and thank you that when you are at the center, you help us to see and to hear all the different and diverse stories and experiences of what it is to be a part of your family. Those of us who have spent a lifetime in your church, your family. Those of us who have come and been welcomed later in life. Those of us who have spent our whole lives in one place and know the intimate love of a community. Those of us who have traveled and moved and popped around from place to place and church to church still looking for and longing for more intimacy. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us to one another. Only you would bring us all together and expect something beautiful to happen. And so, Lord, we celebrate that that beauty is happening and that joy is coming, but not in our strength, but in yours. So, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the ways you are already, Jesus, at the center of our lives. And we pray that more and more you would be the center. All these things we pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing one more song before we go about why we praise Jesus, because he's given us everything. Before we do that, I invite you to stand, please, if you're able, and receive God's parting blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the power and presence of his Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you all. And all God's people say, Amen.